everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of What You Think Doesn't Matter. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit this week about what happened in Lauderdale County, Alabama over the week. That's when a deputy chief escorted an offender out of the jail, allegedly took him to a psych evaluation, and never came back. And now they are both, quote-unquote, missing, and there's a big manhunt on for them. Um, as a former correctional officer and correctional lieutenant, I can tell based on the what little bit of information the media is putting out of there, based on the surveillance footage that was actually released to the public, that uh, a whole lot of red flags and a whole lot of policies got ignored or overlooked. And the biggest question that I have is, why? Who allowed this to happen? Because when it comes to transporting offenders from a facility, there is actually a whole lot of work that's involved into ensuring that accountability is maintained when it comes to escorting that that offender. Um, usually, the staff are, is known days in advance uh, about this transport. Uh, the offender may not know about it until the morning of, uh, but for the most part, the staff that need to know about it are made aware of it days in advance. There's schedules that are made. Uh, they know who's going where and when. Um, staffing arrangements have to be made to allow for officers to do that escort. Uh, this particular offender was a high-risk, um, violent uh, offender. He had a he was already doing 75 years for uh, multiple violent offenses, such as murder, kidnapping, and other sorts of uh, heinous crimes. But the first major red flag that I'm actually quite concerned about is why staff allowed the chief deputy to escort a violent offender by themselves or by herself, for that matter. That is a very unusual situation. Because I know as a lieutenant, I can't even count how many times a, a high-ranking supervisor has actually gone on a transport. In fact, uh, in my 17 years experience working in corrections, I can't recall any one time where a high-ranking official would take an offender on offender transport. It just doesn't happen. It does not happen. Um, so the officer's first thought was, okay, why is the chief deputy going on an escort? First of all, second of all, why is the chief deputy taking this offender, this violent offender on an escort by herself? That is another red flag. And third of all, how was that offender even allowed outside of the living pods to begin with? without first verifying why he's getting out and who's getting him. So um, there's more to blame here than just a chief deputy for escorting this offender out and escaping with him. There's a whole lot of stuff going on here um, that should have been looked at or that should be looked at. And I'm sure the investigation is looking at that. And one of the key things they're going to be looking at is not only the first two questions that I asked, but they're going to look at uh, whether or not this female officer or deputy chief was in any type of relationship with this offender. And before even looking at the headlines, I was telling myself, well, yeah, most likely they do. Because usually when an offender escapes from a facility, they have help by staff. And it's usually a staff member that they are involved in an intimate or some form of relationship with. I personally have not been involved in any escape recoveries, fortunately, uh, during my tenure in corrections. But I have um, seen several. I know what's supposed to go on, what's supposed to happen. And I also know what rules are in place to help prevent that. Most of an, a correctional officer's primary functions are offender accountability. You make sure you know where your offenders are, 
where they're going, and who's taking them. That's it. That is a correctional officer's job right up there with maintaining peace in the facility. All officers are responsible for offender movement. All officers are responsible for maintaining a safe environment and peaceful environment within the facility. Those are my biggest questions is why did the other officers let it, let them get away with it? Now, could it have been that the officers said, oh, it's the deputy chief, you know, 17 years with the department, impeccable service record. She wouldn't do anything as heinous as allowing an offender to escape, let alone helping them escape. Well, that's the perfect cover, perfect ploy. Um, I'd be willing to bet that these two were actually in a relationship for a long time, and it took some strategic planning to af- to affect this escape successfully. But there are a lot of things that are policies that are put in place specifically to prevent this. And obviously those rules were broken or they were not followed because I'm going to assume here because whoever was operating the control panel that day, running the doors and the other officers that were controlling the offender movement and accountability didn't stop to verify the deputy chief's story about taking that high risk offender out for a alleged court hearing or a psyche vow. Because all that leaves a paper trail and nobody bothered to ask for the paper trail. Yeah, you know, if fear of retaliation maybe from the supervisor, for not allowing the supervisor to do it. But you know what? When I was an officer, I would rather get yelled at and catch a disciplinary for doing my job than to take for granted of a person's title or position and found out that I screwed up and an inmate got away. Um, because getting disciplinary action for doing your job would most likely be reduced or take or disappearing, but you let an inmate get away and you could have controlled it, you're going to lose your job and your livelihood if you're not criminally prosecuted for aiding and abetting that escape. So that's a big question that I had about that. And when you look at the surveillance video that they have released to the public, you'll see the chief deputy pull her vehicle into the sally port. She comes in through the outer door and then goes into... I'm assuming is going to be the strip down room, um, which is another little mini sally port that goes from the outside area to the inside. That's where all the offenders are uh, stripped down or, or patted down and searched before being allowed access to the facility. But when she came in from the outside sally port, that outer door was left open, which is a major security breach because you're not supposed to have two doors open at the same time. You have to allow one door to close completely and lock before opening the other door. So that's one big security breach that I saw just on the video. Another issue is uh, watching the offender walk through the sally port in full um, belly chains and leg irons without any physical assistance from the officer. That's another big no-no in the correctional world. Whenever you've got an offender in chains, you need to keep hands on with that offender at all times to prevent them from falling. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but I know I have just through practical experience that wearing leg chains and walking in them is not easy. Restricts your, your, your step, your gait. You can't step out as far. You can't run unless you hop, um, which is what they're designed to. They're designed to limit your freedom of movement. Um, so the fact that she allowed the offender to walk out like that without keeping hands on with him is another red flag. There's a whole con- a whole bunch of stuff going on with that that's just not cool. And that I'm sure the investigation, when they look into it, will reveal what was done right, what was done wrong, what could have been done to prevent it. And I can tell you one thing right now, what could have been done to prevent it. 
the people inside doing their jobs properly, verifying the offender is allowed to leave with escort, basically doing their jobs the way they're supposed to be doing it, and they failed to do that. And so now we have an, we have a convicted murderer on the run with a former correctional officer administrator with them. And they're probably armed and dangerous because when they found their via- the patrol vehicle in a parking lot that was abandoned, all the weapons allegedly were not with it. So they probably kept the weapons. And uh, so, yeah, it's that's a volatile situation all the way around. And somebody's heads are going to roll for it, and it's probably going to fall down to the officers that were working that day. And one of the biggest things we talk about when training new staff in corrections or even reminding older staff is the likelihood or how to prevent the likelihood of being compromised by offenders. Offenders don't want anything from staff unless it's going to benefit them personally, period. Um, you In the prison world, you'll hear definitions between uh, a con, um, an inmate, and an offender. Uh, three different titles all essentially mean the same thing. You got a bad guy in jail. But, you know, there is a true definition of a con, a convict, okay? A convict is an old-school term that inmates call themselves. They've been around for a while, or we use the term down. They've been down for a few years, and they know how the game is played. They know what's going on. In the old-school days, you would never, ever see an inmate talking to a staff member unless they were asking that staff member a question. And in most cases, they wouldn't even go to a staff member. They'd go to another inmate to find out their questions. Okay, in order to get answers to their questions from the more experienced inmates. Inmates today, they have no respect for staff because staff today really don't do anything to earn the inmates' respect. But then again, you also have the politics of the administration, which I'm not going to get into all that, but that plays a big impact on how offenders and inmates um, relate to each other or interact with each other. Through the years, I have seen my fair share of uh, staff compromise, um, anywhere from Officers engaged in sexual relations with an inmate to bringing in drugs and contraband for the inmates. I've also seen um, officers who were in the same street gang as inmates that they're in, you know, required to supervise or take charge of. I've seen it all. Well, I, let me write, let me digress. I have not seen all of it, but I've seen a lot of it because in our world, just when you think you've seen it all, something new pops up. So a lot of, a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that the general public isn't really aware of uh, working in a correctional environment is more mentally exhausting than it is physically. I mean, the mental games that inmates play on staff all the time. The rule of thumb is an inmate is not going to ask a staff member a question that the inmate does not already have the answer to. They're asking the staff member that question, especially what we refer to as a new boot or a rookie. They're going to ask them a question just to see what that officer knows, or they're going to do little things here and there to see what they can get away with. Um, They're going to know, they're going to figure out what policies the staff member enforces, which policy they don't enforce, and they're going to see how they act toward other inmates. Okay. When you're working in a correctional environment as a staff member, you are literally being watched by your population to see exactly what you're doing, how you do it. They're going to take a look at a situation, see how you respond to it. And they're going to try and sit down and think of ways to manipulate that from you. Because once an inmate gets his hooks into you, he's got you, period. That's why the biggest two-letter word in the correctional world is no. If you cannot tell another human being no, then corrections is not the job for you. And I've seen that a lot. I've seen a lot of kids that come in 
um, start a job in the correctional world. They don't know how to say the word no, and not a full year into their tenure with the department, they're compromised. Because if you allow an inmate to get away with one little thing, it's just going to keep building, keep building, keep building, until the next thing you know, that staff member is wanting you to bring dope into prison, because if you don't, he's going to rat you out for something else that you did that you know can get you fired. So as we've always said, it's a lot easier to say no and change your mind than it is to say yes and go, oops, I messed up. And that comes down to offender and staff relationships. Most agencies that I've worked for, and I've worked with a lot of facilities, they all have the same simple rule, okay? You are not allowed to engage in a relationship with an offender, or in some states, a former offender, unless that offender is family, or unless that relationship was established prior to the offender being incarcerated. In either case, you still have to report that. If you have some type of relationship with an offender, um, as a family member, that needs to be reported because what's going to happen? A, you are going to be reassigned to another area of the facility where that offender is not allowed or is not housed. Or B, they will house that offender in another facility. If it's at the prison level, they will most likely transfer that offender to another facility where you are not located. If it's at the county jail level, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure how that happens, um, but we'll see what, what goes on. That's why we have rules in place to prevent that. And we have those rules in place to protect the officer or the staff member. If you are involved in a relationship or if you establish a relationship after an offender has been incarcerated or with an offender's family member, you're required by policy to report that relationship. And in most cases, you're probably going to be told you need to dissolve that relationship because it is a major conflict of interest. Okay. And this escape here that happened in Alabama is a prime example. Why? why relationships are supposed to be reported and why you should not have a, as a staff member have a relationship with an offender because of stuff like this, because unconsciously, whether you realize it or not, a staff member with a relationship with an offender will actually start treating that offender differently than the rest. They'll start letting that offender do little things here and there that is against policy. They'll start giving him a few more favors here and there. Uh, believe it or not, even though it maybe seemed like it's little or inconsequential, you allow an offender to do something that's outside of policies, you are compromised. You just allowed that offender to break the rules. And when you allow one to do it, you're like kids. You have to let them all do it. And if you start doing that, why are you even there? Because now you're nothing more than one of them. Offenders are there 24 hours a day. They live there. Correctional staff is only there anywhere from 8, 10 to 12 hours a day. They're, you are there on their behalf. On, for them, all right? The reason that the staff control the facility is because the inmates let you. The inmates can take over that facility at any time they want to without much resistance because they know that the staff is outnumbered. So as a correctional officer, why would you want to do anything to encourage that? As a correctional officer, to me, it was all about the respect game. You can't think about why the offender's in jail. You have to think about the fact they are there and you have a job to do and you have to be professional when doing that job, period. When you start thinking about a charge an inmate has and while they are in your facility, it falls back to those unconscious decisions, whether you realize you're doing it or not. For example, if you know an offender is in your jail and he's there for uh, a sex crime on a child, 
you're going to unconsciously treat that offender differently because of why he's there. Am I saying you need to support what he does or you need to get your back, get his back on what he does? No, I'm not saying that at all. As far as I'm concerned, he sexually assaulted a child. He's the lowest form of scum there is in existence. And to be honest with you, I don't even think that's in existence yet. But you can't focus on the why he's there. You have to focus on the fact that that person is there and it's your job to protect that offender while he is in your custody. Period. That's the law. That's the oath you took when you swore to do that job. When you start thinking about why an offender is incarcerated and their charges and their crimes, you will start treating that offender differently based on their crimes. And you know what? When you do that, you're compromised because you cannot operate that facility in a fair and consistent manner. You have to operate the facility and you treat the inmates based on their present actions. Not why they're there, but while they are there and the actions that they are portraying while in custody. That's how you deal with those offenders. You deal with the offenders right now, not because of why. And when you start doing that and you're fair and you're consistent, in the correctional world, they have a term called firm, fair, and consistent. That means you treat everybody firmly, fairly, and in a consistent manner. You treat everybody the same, regardless of why they're there. Because you got to remember, when they're sentenced or they're incarcerated, they've already been punished. Their sentence is being there. They're not there for you to inflict further punishment on them just because you can or because you got a little badge on your chest that gives you the power to do that. Inmates know you have a job to do, but when you start abusing that job and you start screwing with inmates simply because you have the authority and the power to do so, trust me, that is going to make your job a hell of a lot harder in the long run. So when you show up to work, do your job, do it professionally in the best manner that you possible, and by all means, know how to say no, period. Okay. Um, Working in corrections is not that hard physically. Yeah. Are there going to be fights? Are there going to be takedowns you're going to get involved with? Absolutely. And not only do you have to have respect in your job towards the inmates, but you need to have uh, respect with your fellow uh, officers. Okay. Because um, when you go to work, you're all there on the same team and your primary goal is to go home at night, period. You don't have to go take long, hot showers at the wee hours in the morning with your partner. But while you're at work, you do have to get each other's backs. And if the staff members show solidarity and unity, the less likely it would be the inmates are going to, you know, stand up or revolt or do anything against you because they know you all stand together. But if the inmates know that you as an officer are not respected or liked by your peers and your coworkers, they're going to see that and they're going to manipulate that. And that's where they start getting into you psychologically. And when they got you psychologically, that's the first big step into getting you completely. So keep that in mind. When you go to work in a correctional environment, you're there. You're a professional. Act like it. You don't have to go screw with these guys simply because you can. All right, y'all. That wraps it up for this week's episode of What You Think Doesn't Matter. Tune in next week as we find another topic to discuss. So until then, be good, be safe, and remember, what you think doesn't matter. 